1: Those individuals that don't wait for permission. Leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Imagine
0: being able to ask big questions that really matter about education. Imagine having the opportunity after a long and distinguished career, working with students as an English teacher, technology administrator, a leader in schools and now an influencer right throughout the world. Imagine being able to think carefully about the purposefulness of education and what we need to do and how we need to take the big step forward and up. Will Richardson is the co-founder of the Big Questions Institute. He is way, way more qualified to be talking about and thinking about these things than us. And as a result, we are ready to go back to school
1: with Will. I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 8 sponsor?
0: EDAPT Education brings together all your student data into one platform. Improve the growth and well-being of all students in your school. EDAPT is offering their learner profile and school data platform free for a term for the first time exclusive to you, our Game Changers listeners. Simply visit edapteducation forward slash Game
1: That's edapteducation forward slash Game Let's go. Bill, it's uh, wonderful to be with you again, mate. Uh, how, how is the, the People's Democratic Republic of Fitzroy treating you on this fair morning? Look, it is indeed a fair morning. And,
0: and thank you for your greetings there, Adriano. I'm, I'm afraid I've got this buzzing noise in my head today, this buzzing noise in my head. And that's no, that's not a COVID Zoom headache. They're out in the street and they're lopping branches off trees. So listeners, if you hear that buzzing, if you hear that buzzing in the background,
1: that's what it is. I'm very surprised the environmentalists are not out there chaining themselves to the trees in Fitzroy, preventing that from happening.
0: Well, I did see a couple of Extinction Rebellion people just
1: quietly crying in the corner. Of course, in Sunshine, uh, there's no nature strips of trees. They just get rid of them to plant either concrete or lemon trees, depending on which way they want to go. There you go. know, I'm really excited to have our, our guest here uh, as part of Series 8. Can you believe it Phil? Series 8. Series it's out of control. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Will, I'm going to launch directly into our very, very first question. It's a question that we ask, of course, all of our guests on Game Changes. And that is, tell us
2: a little bit about your story to date. And how did you get to where you are today? Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it and I admire the work that you are, are doing. And um, I think it's really important that you know we have these types of conversations and connect the dots because there seem to be a, a lot of people now who are beginning to engage in these conversations at a higher level. And that's really great. So I compliment you on your work. You know, my story is kind of an interesting one, at least you know, from my mindset at least. I, I started as a as a high school English teacher, did that job for about twenty two years. And then um, social media came around and I happened to start blogging and and uh, start using wikis and podcasts and all those things. And I happened to write a book about uh, those types of tools in classrooms that was pretty successful. Just started getting asked to do some speaking. That turned into a full-time. Uh, like a full time gig and so for the last 15 years that's what I've been doing and I I can't believe that I've been to over 30 countries, I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of teachers, students, parents, Um, it's been this kind of amazing journey that uh, I feel very privileged to have the opportunity to have been a part of. And um, now my work is with uh, a good friend, Homa Tavangar, who uh, I met a couple of years ago, and, and we decided that you know we were going to ask some big questions and to really try to move this conversation into a space where we got to the fundamentals of what schools are all about. We got to the core work that we felt we needed uh, we needed to do, and, and that we hope schools will do with us. Homa brings a very uh, deep Uh, experience with global competencies, with DEIJ work, Um, you know, I bring a little bit of the technology and also the um, just kind of more practical sides of schooling work. So um, it's become a really good fit and we're uh, at a point right now where um, we both think that the, the conversations are urgent and we're trying every way we can to um you know i know the theme of this series is purpose we're trying every way we can to get schools to step back and reexamine what their purpose is in a moment where so many things are kind of coming together in um, challenging ways and at the same time there are so many opportunities out there for us to begin to think differently about the work we do with kids in our practicing classrooms so it's this really kind of interesting moment where it's really urgent and scary on one hand but on the other hand it's interesting and um filled with uh i think like i said an opportunity to rethink things at a fundamental level and so hopefully that's the the route we're going to take here
1: yeah i think it's a really interesting time you're right um and this notion of the urgency of now is is definitely um been quite pronounced during the last two years because of the situation our educators have found themselves in because of a global pandemic. Um, and it seems to have accelerated some thinking around possibility of the way we use time, a greater focus on competency-based approaches, a greater focus on personalization. And of course, wellness has become a really uh, pronounced uh, element of, of what we're doing in, in, in a way that it, it was always there, but not to the degree of what it is today. I'm interested in um, you sharing with our listeners uh, who who perhaps are new to Will and the construct of the Big Questions Institute. Can you perhaps
2: share with them a little bit about the work that you actually do with schools in this space? Well, right now we're working with about half a dozen schools, uh, mostly international schools, but a couple of public schools districts here in the United States as well. And uh, what we're helping them do is to fully um, as much as possible fully understand the contexts of their work given again everything that's happening in this moment and you're right it's the pandemic which i think has jump started a lot of these conversations but you know the reality check moment that we're in right now is that it's not just the pandemic it's social and racial justice it's autocracies and and failing democracies in many cases it's the climate change issue which you know if you read the news this morning is not good um, and I think we have to be really clear-eyed about these and other things that are happening right now. Uh, we can't continue to do the work in schools that we've done in the past. Um, we have been disrupted on so many different levels right now that I think it's really naive to think that we shouldn't disrupt the practices and the ways that we think about uh, how we how we build experiences for kids within classrooms. So, um, part of our work is just to situate the conversation in reality, um, number one. And that's hard for some folks, right? Um, especially now, you know, we were talking just before we started this conversation about, you know, how COVID has now kind of raised its head again. And, and the Delta variant is, you know, disrupting everything once again. We thought maybe we could go back to normal a little bit. But now it looks like that's going to be put off again, right? So. Um, I think that that you know people are exhausted, they're frustrated. They don't really want to go to that headspace where they now have to consider even maybe more existential challenges than just the pandemic. I know it's horrible to say that, but you know what I mean. And so you know, that's the first part of it. And then the second part of it is just building capacity to engage in these ongoing conversations and, and problem solving, Um, questions or problem solving, you know, activities that will allow people and allow cultures to develop in schools that learn their way through whatever happens next, whatever comes down the, the pike, right? Whether it's good news or bad news, that we have a stance of inquiry around it, that we are embracing the complexity of it, trying to at least the uncertainty of it, and then making the absolute best decisions we can in that moment, because we have the capacity to do so. We have a better understanding of the world as it is. We have a better understanding of what learning really is and how it happens, and the dissonance between how learning really happens outside of school and how we attempt to make it happen inside of school. So, you know, we're we're just trying to get um, some coherence in terms of the way we see the world and then the way that we then move forward in our practice um, based on on kind of that reality and then based on truth telling about many of the things that we do in schools that really don't align with the way people learn.
1: Recently, the Big Questions Institute, I think towards the end of last year, you you released a a really powerful kind of document that had um, some driving provocations uh, you know uh, from my perspective these were designed to kind of assist learning communities to to do an audit really and and yeah. and really uh, explore the kind of whole of learning and the harmonizing of, of knowing and doing and being and and reflect on the gaps between their purpose and their practice in many ways you know uh, because of often all the best intention statements, don't necessarily come to realization within learning communities or even in society. Um, questions like "What is sacred? What is learning? You know, where is the power? And and, and why do we do what we do?" I, I love the question about you know who is unheard. I think that's a really powerful provocation. I mean, Pinal Rip, who's someone that we, we've got great admiration for has this a similar approach. Where her question is, you know, whose voices are missing uh, in, in in that um, the question of course is, you know, uh, are we literate? Are we okay? You know, are we connected? And so what's next? Really important questions. Uh, and, and I wonder if uh, learning communities are brave enough to step into that space of that audit because it would be quite confronting, uh, I would imagine for many of them when that if they were to really explore them in an explicit way. This is a bit of a long run up here, Will, but bear with me. Uh, reflecting upon that, I want us to, to go to the to the big question here. What is the purpose of school?
2: Well, the purpose of school is to prepare children to thrive in whatever world they're going to enter into and live in, I think. I mean, I, I think that that um, is uh, probably about as basic as you can get. Um, and the, the problem that we have with that in schools is that um, it takes some different skills, literacies, and dispositions to thrive in the world today from what it did 50, 100, 200 years ago. But the basic the basic systems and structures and practices that we have in schools have not evolved to the point where I think kids are being prepared for that. I mean, you look, so, you know, all those those things that I mentioned, right? You look at, again, climate change, you look at, at uh, social and racial justice, you look at the kind of infodemic, which is what a lot of people are calling it in terms of our inability to discern you know fact from fiction to to agree on what truth is you look at uh, again a lot of the political issues or economic the inequity that's happening in the world right now which one of those problems is not a problem of education i mean seriously which one of those is something that we as educators can look at and say yeah that's not our work <laughs> i mean every single one of those has an education component in it whether it's that we have to prepare our kids for those realities or that we have to be really reflective and honest about our contribution to those realities, which is one of the reasons why you know we said we don't want to go back to normal because this is what normal has brought us. This, this, you know, we have to sit back and say, How did we get here? Yeah. And how did we contribute to that? So yeah, it is confrontational for a lot of educators, but you know, my sense of it is, and and I'm probably ratcheted up on this scale right now more than I have been in the past because of a lot of what I've been reading and a lot of what I've been thinking about, but um, we can't not confront those things right now. The urgency is so palpable to me right now that if we simply ignore uh, or if we simply fail to unpack our practice in the context of the world as it is and where it's going and ask ourselves these difficult questions about, you know, are we really preparing kids for this? Did we contribute to this in some way? I, I think that, that we're uh, probably reducing our chances of making it through all of these challenges um, because at the end of the day, if it's not an education solution, I don't know what it is. I'm not a, I'm, I'm a techno optimist to the extent where I think that, you know, it can do, technology can do good and solve problems in some ways, but I'm not sure about these problems. I'm not sure about, you know, the enormity of, and the complexity of what we're dealing with right now. Humans are going to have to solve those problems and we're going to have to prepare the humans to do that.
0: Well, it's also very human for teachers in busy lives. Where they're pouring themselves into their role, where there isn't a spare moment ever, and whether that's because of the work they have to do, or their nature, or both of them, they can feel really harried by the world and feel all of the weight of all of this pressing in on them. And that wonderful question that you just asked then, which you know, if if these aren't the work of education, then then, then what is? it can seem a lot more straightforward as an educator to look at the syllabus dot points and go look i'm just doing the third one from the top today that's 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 what i'm doing you know it's just, all this other stuff is is too big is too hard and i guess that's part of what this series of the game changes is all about and you know, thank you very much for your kind really really kind words, really flattering words about the um what this art teacher and I are trying to do. Thank goodness we're talking to an English teacher because at least you know what you're talking about <laughs> and, and, and can connect with some 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 enduring truths of humanity. Do you know if I take all of the stuff that you're talking about and 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 I'm thinking about those teachers in a classroom who are just trying to do their thing and just trying to connect with a sense of purpose that sort of that they know is there, but in the day to day, it's really really hard to find it. What we want to be able to do is to say, look. Who are people with lives of purpose and, and and what do they look like so so then as i said if I, if, if I take all of what you're engaged with and all of what you're thinking about where you've come to again i'm just going to ask you a trivial little question what is your life of purpose how would you explain that in a way to help your colleagues understand where you've got to
2: and what your why is are you, you're asking me what my personal why is yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. so i think my life of purpose is to provoke these types of conversations to be honest with you i really do I, I don't have answers to a lot of the questions i don't think these are questions that have easy answers they may not have one um you know universe they certainly don't have one universal answer so my my purpose in this conversation in this work is to get people a little bit out of their comfort zones, to to situate them in reality, to make sure they're telling truths about their work, you know, to, to keep them honest when they're talking about what they do. And then to, as much as I can, help them and help schools develop support mechanisms to help teachers, students, parents, communities navigate what I think is going to be any way to look at it couple of interesting decades here that we're entering. Um, this is not going to be easy to get through this. And, you know, I think it's easy, it's, you know, Adriana, you were saying, uh, you were centering wellness. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think there's anything more important right now than making sure that we have um, practices in place that continually support students and teachers to feel um, some sense of real connected community, because that's the only way we get through this, right? I think that that you know, if, if we're really going to look at at the bigger issues in the world right now, they are community solutions. They're not individual solutions. Um, and so, how we build those communities in our schools, in our you know districts, in our areas, uh, I think is is crucial. So, I mean, to me, it's it's a sense of um, My, you know, in the in the whatever time I have left doing this, I want to continually provoke people to think hard about what is the work, what is the purpose, how do we support one another, how do we build frames for moving forward, considering the difficult challenges that we have? How do we hold hope? And how do we take care of one another and really, you know, change this conversation? Otto Sharmer has a great. Kind of distinction where he says, how do we move away from ego systems to ecosystems, where we really start thinking about the collective and we make that the purpose of school? There's a a lot of talk around learner centered education. And I think that's a great step from where we've been in the past, which has basically been teacher centered education. But I'm not sure learner centered education is enough any longer. I think it's world centered education. I think we have to situate all of this now in the context of how do we as the collective heal ourselves and chart a different path forward to that end, right? So it's engaging work on my end. I mean, I I love this work. I'm very passionate about this work, but I'm not making a lot of friends with it um, because, you know, um, a lot of people don't want to go there. They, it, it, you know, as, as as you were saying, um, you know, Phil, a lot of teachers are burdened already and I get it. I totally get it. Which is, however, why, as you know, as we 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 work with school leaders to say, you have to change time structures. You have to change um, so much of what you do. You know, we are working with one school, and, and they're putting in advisory for students, and we're making them also put in an advisory program for teachers um, because teachers need that time to just talk and to you know almost like get therapy. Um, just like kids need time to just vent and, you know, talk about their lives. That's a long articulation of it, but I think that's kind of how I feel my purpose is right now.
0: No, no, thank you for that. And and look, as as an old ancient, very old ancient history teacher, the image of Cassandra on the beach at Troy comes to mind around a a lot of the work um, that gets done because you have to be prepared to stand and face and go, look out, this thing is here. It's, It's not coming, it's here, and we need to attend to it. And yes. to do that, there needs to be quite a degree of selflessness, but at the same time, you've got to have some quit as well, too, don't you? It's that Jim Collins thing of of humility and willpower and, and uh, the and the capacity to bridge the apparently unreconcilable difference between the two. You know, it's 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 those sorts of things. And I think I think you're right to point to community um around this and, and if there's anything our, our ridiculous little podcast has has done over the past eighteen months, it's allowed like minded people to gather. Um, around uh, a sort of a virtual campfire and and listen to people like yourself who who, who give them inspiration on a daily basis. Um, Will, if that's your why, I want to go into the what and the how, but in in, in particular, I'm interested in how you think or or where you think this why, this purpose came from. Because again, if, if what we're trying to do here is inspire a movement of of like-minded people across the world to say this is the stuff that really really matters there's a there's not only a, a therapy thing there's a metacognition thing for aspiring mm-hmm. leaders in education isn't it we've got to teach people before they take the big step forward and up they've got to take a step back and look at what they're doing and think about okay this is what matters to me and i think this is where it's coming from and this is how i'm expressing it so can you go into a little bit of where you think this came from in your life and how you how you reach this point of shall we say precocious and fearless advocacy
2: so you know it's really interesting because i think my let's let's put quotes around it enlightenment came only about 10 years ago when i really started thinking deeply and and just being honest about um learning how it happens you know what's required for for really deep and powerful learning to occur and how that didn't look anything like what I went through in school. It didn't look much like what I did when I was a teacher. And it certainly didn't look a lot like what my kids experienced when they were in school. And I wanna be clear, it's not about the adults. Um, I mean, it is to a certain extent, but most of the teachers that I had, most of the teachers my kids had, the teacher that I tried to be um, was a good human being who really cared about my students and who wanted what was best for them. But about 10 years ago, a friend, Gary Stager, um, gave me a book, and it was a book titled, And What Do You Mean by Learning by Seymour Saracen. I'd never heard of the guy, and I read it, and it just kind of changed my life in that what he said was, you know, powerful learning is really when you want to learn more. And if you don't want to learn more, you didn't really learn it, and it's not it's not sticky, consistent learning, right? So. You know, look, if we're honest about it, if we're going to tell truths about it, and I I especially think it's interesting what's happened over the last 18 months, especially with educational leaders, because when I ask them, and I've I've had the huge privilege of working with international school heads now for over 60 weeks, every Thursday morning, we have an hour conversation. And it's just been mind-blowing in terms of just being with them as they've gone through these last 18 months. But I'll say to them, you know, what was your learning like? since March, 2020, what's it been like? And they'll say, unbelievable. It's been like nonstop, in the moment, problem solving, asking questions, collaborating with other people, trying stuff out, reflecting on failure, trying something else, you know what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, we all step back and we go, yeah, that's that's what learning looks like. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's how it happens when it's real world, relevant in the moment, all that kind of stuff, right? But then I'll say, so how does that map to what your kids are doing in their classrooms? And almost every one of them will say, "Yeah, not so much. That's not what it looks. Like. That's not what it looks like in the classroom." Yeah. Right? So you, it was really this kind of this evolving understanding or realization that the way I've kind of just kind of boiled it down right now is that schools are not built for learning; they're built for schooling that learning is a really natural thing that we do and schools are very unnatural constructs in which we try to fit that in and that it doesn't really work and it never has, and it never will. That doesn't mean that kids can't learn things. That doesn't mean that we can't, you know, really, really be uh, supportive of them and nurture them. And I am an advocate for places where adults and, and children get together. And, and learn more deeply and, and do things at greater, you know, depth and, and beauty than they could do on their own. I, I think there is a huge um, value in coming together in those spaces. But I also think that there's just a lot of wasted time when it comes to what really deep and powerful learning looks like. And I think the, the real danger right now is if we continue down that path, where we teach kids something, they take a test and they forget it three weeks later, which we know happens with 90% of what happens in schools, that what we're not doing is developing them as learners who have to learn their way through their lives right now, just like educational leaders learn their way through their lives the last 18 months. Welcome to it. This is what it's gonna look like. And the other point just really fast is I say to people, look, do you think when kids go out and solve problems, they're gonna create school structures to solve those problems. You think they're gonna go and they're gonna just take a piece of it and study that for 45 minutes, and they're only gonna study with, you know, the people of their same age, and then they're gonna take a test and get a... No one replicates school systems, practices, and structures when they're in the real world trying to solve problems or when they're trying to learn something, never. And so it's about time that we came to the realization that it's our job in schools, to replicate those natural learning environments those conditions which will then help kids be much more powerful learners problem solvers collaborators creators designers all of that stuff when we put them out there into the world this is a
1: fascinating conversation uh and just sitting back here listening to both you and Phil um e- explore what you've just been talking about is really really interesting you know uh the privilege of sitting down with school leaders as you described it and and gaining some insights into their challenges, but also their opportunities that have been born during this time is is really interesting. So much of what I'm hearing you share with us here today, Will, really explores the notion of the future of everything and, and, and how that is going to kind of be unpacked through things like innovation and technology uh, in transforming the way we kind of live and the work and the way we play and lead and learn and so on. I'm interested in in when you have these conversations with with these school leaders and they've been in a situation in these last 18 months where they've been basically building the plane while they're flying, you know, and and there's a huge iteration piece in all of this. Iteration after iteration after iteration, and so much of the space that they've been in, and we work with many school leaders in a very similar place. So much of the space they've been in has been around the process of discovery, as opposed to the end game. Because the reality is, the end game is very unknown to them right now, um, and that that's the part that kind of freaks many of them out, right? Because there's there's a sense of control that's lost, but the sky hasn't fallen in in those eighteen months they've discovered so much more about their capacity, their capacity to lead, their capacity to be flexible and adaptive or not, right? I'm interested in, in this period of time, when you're working alongside of them, what did you discover about you that you didn't know necessarily or, or needed to kind of confront in that
2: period of time? Well, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I'm from aside from the obvious things about, um, how much I didn't know about school leadership right because, as I uh, again have engaged in these conversations over those many, many weeks I learned something new every week. Um, i'm and that's part of the reason why I love to show up to these right uh, I'm, I'm only there to kind of facilitate. And to keep people honest now and then to make sure they're listening to what they're saying to maybe give them a little you know space for some therapy, whatever else, but i'm also there to learn. Um, And I think that the complexities are are, uh, enormous right now. Um, There's so many variables. There's so much uncertainty, all of that, right? Kind of reflecting on on what I've learned about myself um, is that I I think that I'm more passionate about it than I even thought I was. Uh, I think I maybe feel the urgency more deeply than I want to almost. Um, It scares me at times you know, I try really hard to kind of make sure that it's not overwhelming when it starts coming out, you know, but I think that, you know, it's such a hard moment right now. I mean, you know, depending on where you sit on the spectrum, you can either be kind of ignorant and immune, or, you know, just, you don't really see it, or don't really read it, or don't really care. Or you can be deeply engaged in trying to figure out what's happening right now and embracing, again, not just the uncertainty, but the potential suffering that we're about to endure in many different ways. And I think that's a reality, right? I I think, you know, it's in the house, right? Like we were talking about before, it's here. And then, you know, just trying to, to build the capacity to kind of deal with that and, and still remain hopeful and optimistic. And I I do remain hopeful and optimistic. I do think that we can still mitigate much of this. Not all of it, obviously. I think some of it is is already baked in. Bad choice of words, but you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and so, you know, my kind of ongoing journey is how do I reconcile all that for myself, mm-hmm. but then also then help other people kind of um understand it in ways that they can reconcile it that they can they can kind of live with the uncertainty and live with what might be around the corner but also then understand that there's a lot of work to do really good work to do um to try to get us to a point where you know we will get through this and we will come out of this on the other side with a world that we want that we is is something that is much better Than the world we have today, and that's the only way this is going to happen, right? I mean, you know, again, not to get too like black and white about it, but we're either going to figure this out and create a world that is much more aligned with, um, you know, love and compassion and respect and uh, all of that. Or it's, it's going to be a pretty dark road um, into some really, really troubling times. And I, I do think that we're kind of on the precipice of that right now. And we have to face that. The only way we're going to get to that first option is if we face what, what we're in right now. And we're just honest about it. And we go, okay, let's roll up our sleeves. Let's do the work. You know, let's get to, let's get to work and make sure that it's option one, not option two.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's time for those big questions, and it's it's time for us to to confront them, and it's time for us to be open to to healing uh, the residual of our past in, in a way that includes everyone around that table in a pronounced way. I, lo- I love how you talk there so eloquently around the time where um, there are many that 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 are sitting in the space of feeling hopeless, but our way through this is to continue to to find opportunities to remain hope filled. Uh, you know as, as we go forward. I just want to share with you really quickly during, during some volunteer work that I did um, in Guatemala City back in 2010 uh, I was there with a whole group of educators from, from Australia on a bit of a pilgrimage and we were, we were supporting a number of schools that happened to have a, a Catholic kind of lens to them. Well, Guatemala is a very strong Catholic yeah. nation uh, and, and these schools are run by the Marist brothers and um I went to uh, one particular school that happened to be built directly opposite one of the biggest gangland headquarters, you know, right there, and and of course you can appreciate every time a kid left for the day, it was recruitment hour, you know, into the gang. So, you know, education was such a powerful construct of a way out, just the same as providing them with really good healthcare, gave them a sense sense of um, their wellness. Uh, where they could we could go on but the allure of being drawn into that darkness the allure of being drawn into something that was providing them with community uh, a structure uh, uh, lots of promise <laughs> lots of things that 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 sucked these young people in and corrupted their minds and of course once once that happened it took hold of them and then they became part of that in, in a really pronounced way so it was a really interesting experience to be part of but what, what blew me away was there was a children's playground at this particular school made out of wood and, and the children, you know, would gather and, and there would be just children just playing, just the joy of being a child, you know, and the freedom and the wonder and awe of that happening in front of you while across the road was this darkness, it was interesting contrast. Uh, but on this children's playground carved into it in spanish and i i can't read spanish so i'm not going to even attempt to to pronounce what it was in spanish but the translation basically was that everything that we do in life has an echo in eternity just beautiful beautiful i'm interested you know will because you've been so generous in sharing your journey with us today what legacy do you want to leave behind these are
2: questions that I don't usually get asked. Right. And, and so I, I appreciate them. um, But I'm, I'm feeling very kind of uh, I don't know what the word is, but uh, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. A little bit. Sure. Um, But I mean, I'm okay with vulnerable. Right. Um, But it's, it's more along the lines of, I don't, I don't know really, you know, what what that might be. I mean, I, I hope that maybe there was some change that was affected in good ways because of the work that we're doing. Um, I think there is. I mean, I think that we've had um, some real tangible effect, at least in terms of getting people to think about learning differently, even just that, right? Even, even just being willing to, kind of put that on the table and unpack it and go, yeah, you know what, you know, my kids really are forgetting everything two weeks after we do this, you know, and, and or that test really isn't measuring, you know, all of that. So there's the kind of practical stuff when it comes to working with kids in schools. But I mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I hope that, that it's around the idea that we're, we're trying to engage honestly and fearlessly. Um, you know, we talk a lot about fearless inquiry as well, right? um that maybe you know as difficult as it is to hear that um maybe i was someone who could contextualize it in a way that um, made it a little bit more palatable a little bit more urgent and uh, maybe a little bit more actionable like i said no no individual is going to fix this Uh, certainly i don't have any conceptions or you know of, of having a huge impact on any of this but um, certainly, I think that the more that each of us can connect, talk about community, you know, engage again in these dialogues, um, the closer we're going to become, or the closer we're going to come to fix it and to, to get through it. So if I can play a small little piece in that, um, I'm happy to do that.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that what do you believe allows you to be the best version of yourself what are the conditions that allow you to do
2: will richardson really well (laughs) well my wife's in the other room so i guess i have to say you know support from from family but that's really true i mean you know i made a decision 15 years ago to leave a very stable very you know like I knew what my life was going to be like when I was in the classroom I knew that I could go another 15 years I could retire with a pension I'd have insurance you know it was all kind of mapped out but there was this this kind of just decision that I had to make that um, put all of that to the side um, you know stepping out and doing my own thing and starting you know business and it wasn't uh, by any stretch guaranteed to be successful um, and you know my my family was 100% supportive of that decision and I really you know I, I really appreciate that I still do I think that uh, I've been lucky to have people in my life who have been extremely supportive of the, the decisions that I've made and and all of that I think you know the other piece of it is is uh And I'll give myself a little bit of a pat on the back. I mean, I've been a writer all my life. I was a journalism major in college. Um, I wrote professionally as a reporter for a number of years. And I think that that one of the ways that I've been able to communicate these ideas is through writing. Um, And and that I've been fairly successful in doing that. I think that um, maybe the ability to take complexity um certainly the ability to take changes that are happening in the larger world and interpret them down into education i think that's been something that has always um, just kind of been something that i do almost naturally um so i mean um just that ability to to read and write i think is has really allowed me to you know, to expand and to amplify the ideas that 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 not just I have, but that other people have. Right? We all stand on shoulders of giants, and you know, ninety percent of what I write about is really taking other people's ideas and just kind of clarifying them and and maybe just massaging them a little bit to make them more um, more accessible to edu- to education conversations. So I don't know if that answers that question or not, but um,
0: it's a it's a, a cracking it's, it's a cracking answer and and. You know again we'll you know we're sort of opening all this up and we're trying to ask you that you know just identify just sort of one or two things and 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 that 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 then our listeners can sort of think about and then put into play in and around that so you did a pretty good job with that question so let's get on to the real question now okay so our those look, at, real is that what you're oh, saying look, those, well, those no, that was, no no that was <laughs> that was fantastic that was fantastic but that was just a warm-up okay so, oh, great. Okay, so, good. so so uh the the research that we've been doing around the world across the last 10 years um into the character of what you might call an excellent education it's really about the the and and you talked about this earlier about being learner-centered we we would say human-centered it's it's a it's a it's about an education that is all about the character the competency and the wellness of the individual it's thinking about the people who are doing the learning and then the people who are graduating from it and preparing them to thrive in their world, that sort of thing. We would call that character education. It's an interesting term because people import into that different things. But when we talk about character, we talk about three things. We talk about the civic character of belonging. We talk about the performance character of helping people to fulfill their potential, or as my art teacher friend would say, to fulfill their possibility or discover their possibility. And then we talk about the notion of the, the moral character of doing good and right in the world. And that if we can help kids to find their belonging and to achieve their potential and to find good and right things to do in the world, that the unifying thing that emerges from all of this is a sense of purpose, which is why we're talking about a life of purpose all the way through. So, you know, you've boiled down your research and your thinking and your career down into these very discrete answers to help us understand your journey. And, and for that I'm very grateful. How can we help kids to find that belonging, to fulfill their potential, to to do good and right? How do we help learners to identify and claim their own purpose and put it into
2: practice? Well, I think we give them more freedom, to be honest. I, I, I think that, again, we create conditions, no matter where we are, in schools, classrooms, outside, wherever, that we know are required for people to learn. Um, we, you know, give them space for their passions. We give them agency and choice. Um, we, um, let them pursue things that are relevant in their lives that are meaningful to them and, and we just kind of stand by and, and fill in the, the parts that they need in order to even go further down those roads. Right. I mean, I really think that that's the, the role of the adult in this, in this interaction um sure there are things that every kid needs to know and be able to do I, I don't i'm not suggesting that it's you know that we we just stand back and and let them run um down whatever path they want without any support on our behalf that's not i don't think what the role of an adult is whether it's a parent or whether it's a teacher but i, I think that we um we need to just step back more um again my friend gary Steger says you know more us uh or more them, less us right um, and I think, you know, a, a friend of mine from Australia, Bruce Dixon, said, you know, what if curriculum was strategy? You know, I mean, what if it was just something that we pulled in the moment that the child needed it instead of something that we taught everybody on the same day in the same way with the hopes that they'll remember it in, you know, 20 years when they have to build a boat and they need to put to the Pythagorean theorem or something like that, you know? So, I mean, I, I think that th- what we can do is really tap into what how we understand how natural learning happens, and then create more and more conditions for that to happen in schools. Um, Because I think the dissonance that a lot of kids carry and a lot of teachers carry around, by the way, is that difference between learning in school and learning outside of school. They're very different things in most cases. And um, I think the way that we can uh, really make the whole learning experience for kids better in schools is to think more about the natural aspects of learning and, and just allow kids to pursue those things that really meet those standards and requirements
1: so finally will i'm going to ask you this particular question um phil might have something else i'm not sure but this is coming from me um, from from your experience in this field what have you learned about what we most need to help young people to lead lives that are well lived and worthwhile
2: Well, if you're talking about it from an education stance, which I'm assuming you are not, you know, not necessarily a parenting stance, which I think is a little bit different. But if you're talking about it from an education stance, I I think that it's just accepting kids for who they are, wherever they are on the continuum of learning, curriculum, you know, whatever, right? Just accepting them for who they are, really getting to know them as much as we possibly can, and consistently asking them, what do you need from me? What do you need from me right now? I think, you know, um, all too often um, we we kind of just plow forward without really, you know, getting into the having the empathy to get into kids shoes and ask, you know, how are you experiencing this right now? And what do you need from me? And, you know, it may not be anything to do with curriculum. It may not be anything to do with the schooly stuff that that, uh, you know, we talk about all the time. It may simply be they need to be listened to. Um, They may need some quiet time. They may need space to pursue their own bliss in some way, right? Um, But I I just think that, you know, we're here for them. Uh, They're not here for us. Um, and, And so we have to make sure as educators that we're doing everything we can to support them in whatever path they're on as learners, as people, as humans, you know, all of that. Um, and and to, you know, to help them with that, certainly, but to be continually in touch with what they're experiencing in any given moment, and um, helping them develop, again, the skills and the literacies and the dispositions that they'll need uh, when they leave us to, to really thrive and to uh, do really good things in the world. Will, thank you. It's been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Are we done? Are we done? Oh, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are. We are, we are, we
0: are. You know, man, we, 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 need, we need more people like you um, to, to, to provoke us and, and to prompt us. We need more fearless and courageous thinkers who speak both lofty and highfalutin goals for us. You know, it they, they teaches how to climb the mountain, but also teaches how to value where we are right now. Uh, and to to be in the moment and to remind ourselves too that not only are we there for them but we are them because we're the same learners that they are at the same time Great. there's lots yeah. of paradox and all of this sort of stuff and and uh and and lots of sort of intertemporality around all of it um and i could i honestly i get to here all morning and chat to you but um i'm afraid our time has come thank you so much for today thank you so much for being part of Uh, the Game Changers Series 8. Thank you for the work that you are doing in inspiring so many people around the world. And thank you for those questions that you ask that I think Adriano and I are now just going to go away and think about a lot.
2: Well, my pleasure and sincere best wishes on your work.